Show. Welcome everyone to The Bird Show. I'm joined again this week by my co-host, Ger, the son, Conyer, and she's the perfect co-host for today because we're going to be talking about her species, also called the sun parakeet, in today's episode on sun conures. Sun conures live for 15 to 20 years in the wild, typically, and some in captivity have been known to live a bit longer, up to 30 years. Uh, male and female sun conures are very similar in color. They have this beautiful, sunny, yellow, orange, fiery appearance, and that's where they get their name, sun parakeet or sun conure. So even though both the males and females have very similar appearances in terms of their coloration, young sun conures will look more green in appearance. And Gur, when I first met her, she was less than a year old and she had these green feathers. She was pretty much the same size that she is now, but once she had her first molt, that's when all these beautiful yellow colors started coming in. So the green that you see on her wings and on her tail, that was basically the color that was covering her whole body, including her head. Gur can fly quite well. In the wild, they fly quite a bit as well. So they can travel many miles in a single day they're fast, direct flyers, and they mainly feed on fruits, flowers, berries, blossoms, seeds, nuts, and insects. Among conures, anyone who's ever known a sun conure can tell you, they are quite loud. This is their flock call that they use in the rainforest in order to find each other. And since they are such fast and far flyers, it's good that their calls can carry as far as they can in the rainforest. However, it can be a tad frustrating when it's in your own living room or where you're recording your bird show. Sun conures are native to the northeast region of South America. They live in large flocks of 20 to 30 individuals. They form monogamous pair bonds around four or five months. So both parents participate in feeding the chicks. The young depend on their parents for the first seven to eight weeks after hatching, and they only become independent after nine to 12 weeks. In the wild, sun conures unfortunately are declining. So Gur and I have known each other since 2006. And at that time, they were considered to be least concern according to those who do the red list for endangered species. Just two years later in 2008, they got uplisted all the way from least concern to endangered after studies had shown that they had gone from hundreds of thousands of individuals and being fairly common in the region to possibly extirpated in Guyana and rare in Brazil and French Guiana. The main pressure and reason that they're declining in the wild has to do with trapping the illegal pet trade. A long time ago, it was legal to trap parrots in the wild and to bring them to countries like the United States. Now, unfortunately, it still does happen, but it is illegal. However, there are still other countries where it's not monitored or even enforced at all. And so there is still, unfortunately, trapping pressure on the remaining sun conures in the wild. There's only 1,000 to 2,500 individuals that are known to be left in the wild, which means that by far, Sun conures are more common now in people's homes than they are in the wild. So that's not to say that there's no hope for sun conures or sun parakeets at all. There was an article in 2016 that talked about keeping the sun shining in Guyana, recovering the sun conure. And in it, they said the sun conure is vanishing 
wildlife trafficking has nearly eliminated the beautiful species from Guyana. So they're trying to construct a breeding facility and identify captive birds in the pet trade that are descended from birds captured in Guyana so that those can serve as the founders for a reintroduction program. On all the research that I did, I couldn't find out what had happened with the project. Like I said, this was in 2016 that I found this information from. So hopefully they found the funding they needed, the facilities they needed, and the support in the community in order to make this a reality because it really would be a shame that in my lifetime, in Gurr's lifetime, if the species became completely extinct in the wild. So that's a little bit of an overview about sun conures. Now let's move on to some bird tales. Today's bird tales are going to be talking all about the story of Gur and I, how we met, um, and some of our journey to get to where we are now. Gur was hatched in late 2006 in a small pet store in the city of Berkeley, California. She was actually a gift to me for my 21st birthday from my brother. My brother had seen my love for birds and knew about a bird that I had in college, Coupon, who had unfortunately passed away. And up to that point in my life, it was the most devastating thing that had ever happened to me. Seeing this, he thought, well, what better gift than to give the gift of family to my sister who loves birds so much. So he was the one that actually had first met Gur when she was just a baby. As I mentioned, she was in a pet store, so she had just been weaned not that long before I had met her and she still had all of her green feathers. Shortly after, I, of course, immediately loved her. It took us a little while to get to know each other. Uh, there's a lot of subtle body language and stuff that both of us had to learn about each other in order to build our relationship. Back then, I also didn't know as much as I do now, like in terms of how bad sunflower seeds and things like that are. Typically, her treats nowadays are almonds in the shell. She's actually figured out that there are almonds in there. Shortly after Gur came to live with me, I did what I think that most people think you're supposed to do. So I took her to an avian vet for just a baseline checkup. And while I was there, I asked them to trim her nails and trim her wings. To me, I thought that it was just sort of an assumption when you have a bird that lives in your house that you clip their wings just to keep them safe and to keep them from flying away. I think that my fear that something would happen where I'd have a bird, you know, fly away and something bad could happen to them also informed my decision. So it was definitely a fear-based decision. So I took Gur and she had her wings clipped and it had numerous unintended consequences. So she's still pretty young. She was still just learning how to fly. But basically I pulled out the rug from underneath her and she still would think she could launch, so she'd even jump off of things and, and injure herself. Not gravely, but she'd, you know, break a feather here and there, and it was really quite painful emotionally to watch, and I definitely felt like, on a fundamental level, I had betrayed her and promised myself I would never do it again. Uh, well, it went kind of from bad to worse while she was recovering. She became more depressed and neurotic because, basically, I had taken away her mobility, her agency, her ability to decide for herself where she wanted to go and how she wanted to get there. So in order to, I guess, regain a sense of control in her life, she began self-plucking. 
Self-mutilation is something, unfortunately, that's really common in captive-held birds. For Gurr, definitely, I see as a catalyst that decision to cut her wings, because before that, she showed no indication that she would do anything like that. One of the main things that she would pull out was her own tail feathers. It got so bad that particular summer that she had none. She looked like a little bowling pin. Uh, I definitely recall that summer because there was nothing that I could do to get her to stop on her own. She won't wear any kind of collar or harness or anything like that. I've tried numerous times, invented my own things, and nothing works, and she hates it, and it just hurts our relationship in the end, and she can potentially hurt herself when she's freaking out and trying to get it off. So we gave up on that, and I realized at some point that I had to be kind of like her human collar, for lack of a better term. I ended up resigning from my job. At the time, I had been a newspaper reporter, and I spent 24 hours a day with Gur, just telling her to stop messing with her feathers every time that she would and redirecting her and trying to do more enrichment. And it took us several months, but fortunately we did make it through it. And so I'm really thankful for that. Um, of course, it's always a fear that it could come back up. We've spent several years in that particular house. Uh, then we ended up moving across the country and so that was its own adjustment, and that was the first time that Gurr really had to negotiate living with children, and that didn't go so well. There's still a little bit of mixed results in that regard, but Gurr has quite a few, I guess I'd call them phobias. She doesn't like socks, she doesn't like hangers, she hates water bottles, and unfortunately, she hates children. We had to invent a whole sign system and have different bird rooms and stuff like that and it's been really challenging through the years to navigate spending time with the kids spending time with the bird who gets priority and a lot of people would give the advice to give up the bird because you know you should always prioritize human children above non-human animals i feel differently i had made a commitment to gur that was a lifelong commitment before making a commitment to the human children that entered my life a little bit later. I don't take that lightly, and there are ways to compromise, and it is really hard, but we've managed to make it work through the years, and now that my kids are teenagers, I'm happy to report that although they don't get along perfectly, they do get along a lot better than they did when they were younger, but I do rest assured that she knows that um, in terms of stability, um, I'll always be here for her, and she'll always be my original bird in the flock. She was here even before Luca. Gur was hatched in 2006. That means that this year she'll be turning 14 years old, which is middle-aged, actually getting up there for some Conyers, which makes me sad to think about, because in a lot of ways it's been a lifetime. We've both grown up together. Uh, but in some others, it feels like it hasn't been hardly any time at all, and, and it's not enough. But nowadays, we do pretty well with trying to have a flock that's as integrated as possible, although not everyone tends to get along. Gur and Luca get along fine as long as Luca stays on his cage. She gets very particular about where he should be. But Skittles, the green cheek conure that you've seen here a few times, she can't be out when Luca is out because she could potentially get injured by him, not realizing how much bigger he is and his cage isn't locked. So 
he could get her as she's flying by. Also, unfortunately, Skittles and Gurr don't really get along that well, even though they're both Conyers. A lot of people think since they're similar species, they would automatically be friends. But Gurr and I lived together for so long before having that many other people, let alone any other birds, with us. So she's much more attuned in a lot of ways to human culture than she is to bird culture, which helps her communicate with humans better than some other birds, body language, etc. I'll give you an example. So Gur and I have a lot of rules. Gur is not supposed to poop on me. It's not to say she never does. She's not supposed to poop on the bed, on the couch, certain places, but she is trained to go on command when she's held over a toilet or when she's held over a sink. Uh, so that's one of our rules that just helps with cleaning up around the house. And for a while I had to do that before we owned our own house and we had landlords and carpets and it was a necessity rather than just a want. She'll pay really close attention to what I'm doing and mimic some sounds. She doesn't speak, but she does make water drinking sounds when I'm drinking water, chewing sounds when I'm chewing, and she really enjoys whispering. Sun conures are known to be clowns among bird species, and she does have quite a sense of humor, although I think it's a little bit dangerous to just generalize that all birds of this species are like this and all birds of another species are like that. In my experience, the personalities vary from bird to bird as much as it does for humans, so. But she does tend to like to wrestle every once in a while and she'll get on her back and she'll try to kick me and stuff, but she only does it when she's feeling really safe and comforted. And for a long time, I wasn't sure if Gur was a he or a she. The tests that the veterinarians will do to tell you are a little bit intrusive. They either need to take some blood or they need to pluck a feather like from the chest that's deeply enough plucked that it'll have a little bit of skin still attached to it. And either way, it sounded kind of sad to me and I couldn't really muster the will to do it. Um, so for a long time, I referred to Gur as a he. And all that changed one day. Um, it was December. Uh, I remember distinctly that it was close to the solstice because I thought that that was interesting. But we had given Gur a box. We've always known that Gur liked boxes. Well, now it makes sense that it was a total nesting behavior, hormonal behavior. In hindsight, it's obvious. Well, she spent a little bit too much time in the box. And before I knew it, there were a couple eggs in there. So that was quite a surprise. And in that moment, he became she, and here we are today. So while Gur and I have a pretty copacetic existence these days and enjoy having an expanded flock and expanded room to fly from place to place, that's not to say that there aren't still challenges. Like I mentioned, there's still some issues with the kids and with the monogamy thing when you're trying to live as a group of people in a family with more than just two. But on top of that, Gur had a little bit of a setback this past spring, which really broke my heart. Things had been pretty busy around here and things of course have been pretty stressful uh, beginning in you know, January, February with everything going on around the world. 
And I guess that between me working too much and preparing for the kids to be on homeschool and kind of just stressed out in general, I wasn't really watering our relationship as much as I needed to. And I wasn't paying close enough attention at all because Gert, for the first time in years, in over 10 years, started plucking again. It, had, it went from zero to, to 60 in faster than I'd like to admit. And honestly, as someone who considers themselves to be a lover of birds, well-informed about birds, it was, for me, almost embarrassing that one in my own flock could feel so invisible that she would want to hurt herself, essentially. I mean, maybe I'm projecting a little bit onto the situation, but luckily these days I work from home, so I was able to be that human sort of bird caller again. But it's been really hard and I've been keeping a very close eye on it. I think we've nipped it in the bud, knock on wood, because I'm not going to be overly confident about that. But she did stop pulling any additional tail feathers. And this year she started doing something she hadn't done before, which is going under um, her wing area. And it was completely bare. She just did that in a matter of days. But now she does have fluff growing back not all the way some fluff growing back so we're really really thankful about that and um, we're really hopeful that we caught it in time and I had spent tons of energy I feel really bad for my family and grateful for my family because I pretty much left them to their own devices for a couple months there and any free time that I've had has been spending with Gur just to remind her not to mess with her feathers and just to be here for her in general so that she doesn't feel so stressed or anxious or invisible. So that's the story of Gur and I. I hope you enjoyed it. It's definitely not over, so there's a lot more to come and a lot more to learn on both of our parts. Um, but for now, let's move on to the flocking news. The flocking news. Today's flocking news article was published on May 8th in the Daily Bruin. It was written by Alexandra Grace Bell, and it's called Exploring the Potential Benefits of Being Stuck at Home with Furry Friends. So here's some quotes from the article. And you may hear Gur munching some snacks in the background. So my apologies for the uh, crunchiness in the sounds. Because of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, millions of Americans are staying home to stop the spread of the virus. As we attend virtual Zoom lectures at home and watch old Snapchat memories of college friends and happier times, it can be hard to stay positive. For dogs, cats, and other pets, though, more time at home means more quality time with their owners, and it turns out the interaction is just as good for us as it is for them. Scientific research shows that owning a pet has numerous physical and emotional health benefits, too. For example, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, our pet's company can help us counteract feelings of loneliness and depression. Not surprisingly, pets have always been a crucial part of the lives of their owners, but while many of us stay at home, pets may be more important than ever. Shadi Zabib, a third-year biochemistry student, said that just seeing his pet there has made him feel happier. He said, quote, animals make the time pass by faster and I'm just an animal person in general. 
so I just tend to get very happy when I see an animal. Zbib procrastinates by playing with his pet bird kiwi, a sun conure, and sometimes the five minutes budgeted for playtime stretches into an hour. Kiwi also attends classes with Zabib, his favorite class being physical chemistry. It's no wonder that pet owners enjoy spending time with their pets, especially during a period when many of us feel stressed by coronavirus or by the routine pressures of school and work. In fact, simply having a routine playtime or walk with your pet can decrease your triglyceride levels, cholesterol, and even blood pressure, according to the CDC. So of course, with everything that's happening in the world, people are turning to sources of comfort, whether that be food or the animals that they share their homes with. I kind of feel bad for all of the dogs, cats, birds, fish, and others who are getting used to having their humans home. I think in a lot of ways, this COVID pandemic underscores how compartmentalized we are when it comes to our work lives and our home lives. And really, when we dedicate our lives to a career, there are people, including animals at home, who we're not getting to spend time with. Relationships are like plants. They need watering. And it is refreshing that even though we have all of this terrible global catastrophe really unfolding around us, it's given us a new opportunity to be able to water those relationships while at the same time following our vocation and getting our work done, which goes to show that probably we could have done it a little bit better the entire time. I know that Gurr and some of the other birds in the flock um, have come with me on more Zoom meetings and things like that uh, over the last weeks and months. And since I did already work from home, is just the realization in seeing other people's cats and dogs that they couldn't sequester off screen, you know, that barge their way into the work meeting. It kind of gave me permission to go, okay, well, I already have all my coworkers here all the time, so why not invite them into the office rather than just asking them to stop yelling outside of it? So I thought that was very timely, of course, uh, but also. A little bit of a silver lining in some really dark times. So let's end today's episode with a bird of advice. A bird of advice. As optimistic as the article is that I just shared with you, there is one thing that kind of irks me about it, and I'm really hoping that we can move beyond it as a species, and that is to move beyond the concept of pet ownership to family. So in the article, I don't know if you noticed, but several times it refers to the humans as pet owners, and it kind of implies that pets are there as passive objects that are supposed to comfort us when we need comfort. It's a pretty unidirectional relationship, and from the people I know who love the animals that are in their homes, who consider them to be family, that one-way relationship does not reflect reality. I give a lot to Gurr, but she gives a ton to me. And in fact, there's a lot of ways in which she's shaped my very identity. And I'm sure that I've had an influence on hers. So let's kind of drop the um, antiquated language that 
is almost akin to slavery. I hate to make the comparison because it really uh, doesn't feel good to put myself potentially in that category. Uh, but let's reframe this and let's actually recognize it for what it is. The reason that we're comforted by having our pets at home during COVID, pets, is because we want to be near those we love, members of our family and our closest friends and allies when we're feeling upset or anxious or just like we can't control the circumstance. If it was just a passive object that filled us up and that we could put away on a shelf, I don't think that we would be as satisfied or be as nurtured as we are when we interact with the animals that are in our lives. Even the notion of pets is a little bit stale in my view, just because it kind of has this connotation of like, you know, kind of a little bit uh, demeaning. Ah, I don't know. I'm just trying to see it from the bird's point of view. Gur, what do you think? I definitely know, and I think that there's a lot of people who know birds who would agree that if anyone's owning someone in the relationship in terms of being territorial, it's probably the bird. So I propose we re-examine the words that we use and the assumptions that underlie them and move beyond the concept of pet ownership to having a family, a diverse family with more than one species. Let's just call it a multi-species family. So that's it for today's bird show. I hope you enjoyed learning about Sun Conyers as much as I enjoyed strolling down memory lane with my friend Gur here. Next week's episode is going to be our season one finale of the bird show. I'm really excited. I can't believe it's already been almost 12 episodes, three months. We're going to have something really special planned for you next week for our big finale. So I hope I'll see you then. Until then, have a flocking good time. Show.